Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. You have made it. You have survived it. It is Friday. The weekend is upon us, and hopefully and prayerfully, with God's will and grace, we'll have a great weekend, restful, hopefully. Uh, Not a lot of work, maybe just some catching up on a few things and enjoying time with friends and family. That'd be great. And uh, we're going to have a great show for you today, but we're going to be doing something mm, slightly different in this first segment. So uh, let's start here. Good news, bad news, Janelle and Adrian. Good news, bad news. Bad news? Which do you like to hear first? The good news or bad news? Good news. You want to do good news. Okay. Okay. I assume Janelle wants the same thing. Good news. Everybody likes good news, but let's go with the bad news first. So the bad news is we're going to skip on the news segment, this first segment. We're going to skip on the saint of the day and the gospel of the day. That's the bad news. The good news, however, is Michael Lofton's going to be on with us in this first segment. Praise be to God, friend of the show. We always enjoy having Michael on. So here's the deal. Yesterday, we wanted to have a conversation about annulments. And why they have risen dramatically in the United States in the last uh, 50 years or whatever. Uh, and what are the, what is the church's teaching on divorce and annulment? So we wanted to have a, a sober and a candid conversation about the reality of that. Uh, but unfortunately, the, what we ended up with was a lot of hyperbolic uh, language mixed in with uh, the technicalities of canon law and, and other things. And some things were said that really just, I felt uh, troubled by afterwards. And we wanted to get some clarity on this. And so we invited our friend from Reason and Theology podcast, Michael Lofton. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Praise be to God. I am alive, and it is good to see you, and I'm excited for you to be on. Uh, Hold the thought real quick, Mike. I also want to tell the listeners, uh, so in this hour... We are going to have some pretty, uh, some pretty cool guests, I would say. So Michael Lofton's on here right now. Uh, coming up at 15 past this hour, Teresa, or Therese rather, Therese Picola is going to be our guest. She went through, uh, demonic possession. Uh, she was liberated uh, through exorcism and she's going to be on, uh, on at 15 past the hour to Tell us about that experience. What was it like being visited by many saints during her, her, uh, uh, sessions under the exorcism. So we are going to have that conversation with Therese Bacola. At 35 past the hour, we want to share with you the story of uh, a local priest who died this week. Somebody I knew, somebody we all knew, somebody who we felt uh, is uh, truly inspiring because he picked up his cross and he bared it heroically, embracing suffering in his priesthood. And I'm sure all of us know a priest similar to this wherever you live. We want to share with you a little bit of his life and why he decided to suffer heroically. And then uh, my friend, Father Preston Cantella, one of his friends, is going to be on our program to to share a little bit about Father Ryan Stahway. So that's all coming up in this hour. We're very grateful that you are here. And in the next hour, of course, if you can join us, that'd be wonderful. Uh, We actually have our fear and Game Show, and today is the day we pull the winner out of the uh, coffee cup of Divine Providence, and somebody's going to get the prize today. So your last three chances to win will be in the next hour. And by the way, you can always hang out with us live right on our webpage at uh, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. That's grnonline.com forward slash cdt. Let's pray, and we're going to jump in with Michael Lofton. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. 
O most sacred heart of Jesus, pour down thy blessings abundantly upon thy church, upon the supreme pontiff, upon all the clergy, give perseverance to the just, convert sinners, enlighten unbelievers, bless our parents, friends, and benefactors, help the dying, free the souls from purgatory, and extend over all hearts the sweet empire of thy love. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Praise be to God. Michael, again, good morning to you. Thank you again for being on with us. Yeah, glad to be on. Thank you for having me. So, um, as I said a minute ago, yesterday we had a guest on uh, to talk about annulments and, and the dramatic rise in annulments in America, which is incredibly concerning and ought mm-hmm. to be concerning to Catholics. Uh, what is going on here with annulments and, and, and why do we see uh, a, a disparaging number between the United States and the rest of the world when it comes to annulments? That was the heart of what we hoped to do yesterday. The guest, however, seemed very emotionally charged. Um, clearly somebody who was um, suffering through their own divorce. I, and I understand this because my family's been divorced many, many times, and I've lived through this as a child many times. So I know what this feels like. Um, but there were some things that were said hyperbolically and and even troubling, and we wanted to sort of get some clarity there. One of which was, let's start here. Uh, mm-hmm. Do Catholics have to obtain permission from their bishops to obtain a divorce? Very technically speaking, canon law doesn't really specify that part. It does say that you are to um, go to your bishop if... You know, you wish to separate, perhaps in the case of adultery or something, and you wish to separate, you are to go to the proper ecclesiastical authority. It does say that. It doesn't necessarily explicitly, to, from what I can tell, discuss the case of, well, if you don't do that first and then you go and obtain a Catholic divorce, is that somehow a mortal sin? It doesn't necessarily say that. Mm. However, I do think it's somewhat implied in the canon where it says you are to first go to your bishop and, and address uh, the issue of separation with them. So I, th- I think it's implied, but not necessarily explicitly expressed. And if you look at some commentaries on the Code of Catholic, uh, the Code of Canon Law, they seem to draw out that implication more explicitly. Do you think that would be kind of fuzzy to most people, like it was uh, just vague enough or you can sort of interpret it at your own, however you wish? Unfortunately, that might be the case. I don't. I don't know if that was the intention whenever this was written, and and I could be wrong. There could be something that I'm missing. You know, uh, an expert in the code of canon law might say, "Well, no, you have to take this other issue into account." But um, yeah, m- maybe so. Sometimes you'll find some ambiguity there in uh, canon law. So if it, let's so if there if a person is supposed to go to their bishop and ask permission to obtain a divorce. And they must have some compelling reason, I would imagine, for a bishop to approve such a thing. Uh, why haven't the bishops? Uh, why haven't the bishops done this? Why haven't the bishops? Well, I mean, I, I know you can't speak on behalf of all bishops, and I'm mm-hmm. not asking you to. But can you give us some insight on wh- what is why? Why are we here now? Why is it that people just obtain divorces and then go to the church for annulments? And annulments are are on the rise. Why wouldn't if the canon law says we're supposed to go? Why wouldn't this still be the case? You know, this is entirely speculative on my part, but I I somewhat wonder if this has to do with our um, understanding of separating church and state. And and some of it I don't think is very helpful. Um, I think that maybe some people 
some bishops might think that, well, we just handle the spiritual issues and secular and civil divorces that's handled by the state. And that could be due to a misunderstanding of some of the um, distinctions between church and state that you might find in the Second Vatican Council. Again, I think that they might be an abuse or misunderstandings, but I could see how somebody might appeal to dignitatis humanae and think that somehow uh, the secular government is entirely separate and its affairs are entirely separate from the Catholic state. Um, so I, 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 it's entirely speculative on my part, but I, I wonder if it has something to do with that. So one of the points that our guest brought up yesterday was the thinking that the bishops were cooperating in material heresy by not sort of regulating divorce in their diocese. What would you say to that? Yeah, well, I mean, material heresy, that's a a pretty strong charge. I mean, this is a term that gets thrown out a lot, I've I've noticed. You you might be able to critique this area uh, among some bishops, perhaps, but I wouldn't label it material heresy. Heresy is a very specific term. It pertains to a denial of something that um, is to be given divine and Catholic faith. Either you're explicitly denying it or you have some kind of obstinate doubt. You refuse to uh, learn and be corrected and accept it. And, and specifically what we're talking about is something that is taught in Scripture or sacred tradition and is defined by the church as infallibly taught effectively. So, I mean, that that's in a nutshell, a really quick answer of what heresy is. And then material heresy would be distinguished from formal heresy insofar as um, somebody could be a material heretic if they maintain something that is false, that they should be, that they should believe that is dogmatic, but they don't intend to dissent from the church. They're unaware that something is perhaps dogmatic. They're unaware that what they're maintaining is heretical. That's material heresy. I don't necessarily think that's the case when it comes to the bishops. First of all, I would ask, where is it required for the individual to first go to the ecclesiastical authority before they seek this secular uh, divorce? I don't see that being required upon pain of mortal sin. And even if you could say it's implied in certain canons, okay, but is that dogmatic I don't see that being dogmatic. Therefore, the term heresy doesn't apply. Uh, so I was that, listening to the the pop checks uh, yesterday, and they were asked a similar question, and they uh, had answered. And uh, I don't know, this might be above your pay grade for like, the talk addressing canon law, mm-hmm. but uh, the pop checks were asked about the whether or not they were required to go to their bishop, and they responded, "Yes, they technically they are required mm-hmm. to go to their bishop, but." Mm-hmm. The vast majority of bishops will not even hear your case, and so and that and because of that, uh, then you kind of are not required mm-hmm. to. Could you speak on like how does that work if the bishop will not hear your case, or, or yeah, I mean, even it, why wouldn't the bishop hear your case? Yeah, yeah, I imagine because it's due to probably misunderstandings about their role when it comes to uh, secular matters. Again, they probably think that they have nothing to do with secular issues and that they're entirely divorced from that and that they handle only spiritual issues. But that's speculative on my part. I don't know that for a fact. But yeah, I, I can imagine some somebody might run up against problems whenever they go through the proper procedures. Maybe they go to their bishop or their bishop doesn't do anything 
anything about it and they think that they don't need to do anything about it. Well, at the very least, you've done what you're supposed to do. So you, you've, you fulfilled your duty before the eyes of God. And if others aren't doing what they're supposed to do, well, that's ultimately on them. And, 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 but I would say there's a difference between perhaps an obligation of going to your bishop and heresy. <laughs> there's a fundamental difference between the two. So I guess that's where I'm confused. I'm not seeing the charge of heresy in this. I might see that people are not necessarily uh, doing what they're supposed to be doing and faithful and following uh, the canon law, perhaps. I could see that maybe, but I just don't see the case of heresy. It seems um, a bit confusing to the average layperson, I would say. Uh, they probably don't even know. I mean, no, who knows? I mean, only those that would study canon law would even know that there would be a statement in there that would suggest that you're supposed to go to your bishop. I'm willing to bet that m- the vast majority of Catholics would never know that, in which case it would never dawn on them that they're supposed to ask their bishop to begin with. And maybe even the I mean, how many bishops are actually that familiar with canon law? I know that sounds crazy, and I'm not trying to charge anybody, but do they spend their time reading canon law? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'm just curious. Do, do you have any uh, any insight on uh, bishops' familiarity with canon law? A lot of bishops are canon lawyers, although not all of them. In fact, they, they've uh, been ordaining some that uh, are, no, are no longer canon lawyers. But in fact, historically, a lot of them have. Well, been that's good canon to know. <laughs> I mean, I mean that yeah. that is somewhat yeah. reassuring anyway that they're familiar <laughs> with the with the canon law. But uh, yeah. we have about a couple of minutes left with Michael Lofton. Let's. Uh, can you maybe address or speak to the issue of why do you suspect there is such a dramatic rise in annulments in the United States, in particular over the last fifty years? Yeah, well, I, I do think that there is, there has been a development in what constitutes a defect when it comes to annulments, um, and I think that's what's at play here. One of those defects might be um, it pertains to: Do you really know what you're getting into? You know, are you? Do you really know what you're consenting to? And I think a lot of people, especially in the United States, have such a poor formation when it comes to what marriage is and what your obligations are that there could be some defects there. And that comes out later on during the annulment process. That's considered. Um, now, I, I will also say there are a lot of um, requests and petitions for annulments that, that don't even reach these statistics that are probably denied. In other words, you first have to go to your local priest and the priest will then determine if he's going to submit it to the tribunal. And those, when they get shut down, they're not reflected in this number. All right, that is going to have to do it. Michael Lofton, Reason and Theology Podcast. God love you, my brother. Thank you for being on with us today. Glad to be on. All right, we're going to go to a break. We're going to come back with Therese Pacola, surviving exorcism and being liberated. We'll be right back. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. 
So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. GloryAndShine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. GloryAndShine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At GloryAndShine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, GloryAndShine.com. Thank you again. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Coming up at 35 past the hour, we're going to share with you a bit of the life of an incredible priest, Father Ryan Stowaways, who passed away just a few days ago uh, here locally. And the reason why we're going to share with you uh, his life a little bit is because I'm sure that you probably know a priest who's has had to suffer quite a bit, embraced that suffering, and, uh, you know, accepted God's will for their life as part of their priestly ministry, and then left a heroic witness as a result to that suffering in the eyes of the faithful. And so, for that reason, we think it would be very important to share with you a little bit. We're going we're gonna to play a little bit of uh, video and audio of Father Ryan talking about his suffering, his cross that he had to endure. And then we're going to invite Father Preston Cantella on, a friend of his, to share a little bit more about the, the value, the grace that we receive when we embrace our sufferings that God sends our way. So that's coming up 35 past the hour. Joining us right now via Zoom chat is Therese Picola. Uh, and Therese has a fascinating story of, uh, of someone who was abused, someone who was hurt, that led to the occult, that led to possession, and then freedom by God's grace through the sacrament and through exorcism and and more. So we're very grateful for her time. Good morning to you, Miss Therese Picola. Good morning. How are you? Praise be to God, I am alive, and that counts. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, with the time we have, um, I want to kind of get more to the meat of the matter. And uh, so it sounds to me like... The opening door was through, according, there's an article on the National Catholic Register, which we will link to, uh, but uh, through abuse and then through a cult and promiscuous behavior, you're finding yourself in a position where you discover that you are, you are possessed. What was that moment like? Right. Well, I should also add to within that, um, I did have an abortion um, as well, which kind of where I dove deeper into occult activities. So um, as far as the the door opening, it would probably be um, within that time in my life where I opened that door, not abortion itself, but not going, um, receiving the sacrament and, and the proper healing that I needed at the time. So yeah, what was it like many years later, um, realizing that I was in this position? Um, I, it, it's interesting because there was always kind of something in me that didn't feel right, um, you know, just... As time went on, avoiding um, confession and not receiving the Eucharist at Mass or receiving in a state of, of mortal sin. Um, and just kind of just in my head, something saying, oh, don't worry about it. It's, it's okay. It, you, you know, God will still forgive you. God, you know, like kind of these lies to, to just continue behaving that way. But wow. the defining moment came really as a whisper during a healing Mass of... Um, dealing with something that my son was going through at the time with an oppression and, uh, and really just hearing the Holy Spirit say interiorly, it's you. Um, and Ooh. I knew if I didn't act immediately, 
I wasn't going to act. So um, we happened to have a team around um, that was working with my son at that that time. And I just turned to the psychotherapist and I said, uh, I think it's me. And that was really what began the whole thing. And as soon as you, as soon as you say yes to the Lord, you know, obviously the evil one is like, oh, hold on a second, you know, and that really opened up. When, when you're living a sinful life, um, he doesn't, he doesn't really bother you because it's kind of like, okay, I've got this person in my, in my clutches. And as long as she just continues doing what she's doing, we're good. But when that person wants to break up, right. And just get out of this bad relationship, all of a sudden he's like, hold on, here I am. I'm going to make your life miserable now. Um, so people will ask me, uh, well, why didn't, how did you know? And why didn't you behave this way or, or do, well, because I was behaving poorly interiorly already, um, he manifests, you know, I say he, you know, the, the evil one manifests when we decide we want to reject him, you know, and then like bringing God into, into, our, into our lives and, and going back to the sacraments and, and looking for that, that healing and liberation. Um, of course, he's going to manifest at that point because he's trying to keep his claws, yeah. you know, yeah. sunk in you. So, uh, Therese Piccola is our guest. We're talking about her story of uh, liberation from uh, the demonically possession, possession through the demoniac and exorcism and the grace of sacraments and all of that. Uh, with just, uh, I don't know, seven or six, seven, eight minutes left on the clock here, I want to get to some of the, the moments during the exorcism rites. So, you spent, I think it was 18 months going through these sessions? Correct. Mm-hmm. And how about, long were the sessions? Um, most sessions lasted somewhere between two and three hours, sometimes over three hours, sometimes less than three hours. Wow. But yeah, I would say sometime between two and three hours. It was, it's exhausting. It's on the body as you can, well, as we can only imagine most people, right? Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of interior beating up. And so um, by the time I would come out of a session, I was really, I felt like I had been in a street fight, you know, like, <laughs> um, wow. you know, you're, interiorly you feel bruised and and miraculously um i would wake up the next day many times i would be exhausted but there would be no indication except for maybe a couple red spots from where relics were um but but the lord really does kind of i don't know wrap himself around you when you're when you're going through this because when you say yes of course he wants in cooperation he wants you to be liberated he doesn't want you to just suffer immensely um although i did need suffering to to heal and that's why it took so long i think because i was really dealing with a an issue at the heart of things of unforgiveness Mm -hmm. and um and it was so deeply rooted um through all these other things that at the core that's really i couldn't see um i couldn't experience the love of god because i felt this such a strong sense of unforgiveness in myself for the things i had chosen in my life and even the things that had been done to me that weren't my fault somehow they were twisted um to uh make me believe that it was something i did wrong um and so it really was many layers to peel back to get to to that wow that's pretty Pretty crazy, and it's a pretty crazy experience to share. I bet um, to talk about and to enunciate. But what was so? You're going through this. The priest is you're going through the exorcism, right? What are you experiencing when that's happening? He's speaking to the demons. What's happening with you? So it's kind of the way I like to describe it. It's almost like being trapped inside your your head, right? So you hear what's happening in the beginning. I was kind of in and out of coherency. I was never. You're not 
out like you can hear but it's like it's kind of foggy um as time went on i was more coherent and was even able to speak at times and such but um in my in my own voice um but it's like being trapped inside you can hear you can uh, feel all these things occurring but you lose control of of your body um when the um when the demons manifest so i would feel myself thrashing you know pushing people um screaming doing all these things but i had no way to i couldn't control that and i guess in a way we look at that we and we have to think what what thing in our lives is is something many of us suffer with and it's control we don't want to to give up control and really what the lord is teaching us is this is you have control over nothing without me and you can't fight the demons like you're not doing anything you're just cooperating with me i'm the one fighting the demons and i think i had once i realized it wasn't me trying to to like you know be strong and 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 you know hold my ground it was the lord doing that through me that um i was able to really receive that and kind of let him take over Wow. And, um, but yeah, when you, when you feel your body and, you know, your head kind of moving back and forth at a speed, that's really not really what feels humanly possible <laughs> inside. There was kind of panic in the beginning. So I'm, I'm freaking out thinking about it, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, all right. So should. clearly your head spun around and you vomited green well, vomit I and you know, levitated. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what were the, what were the manifestations? I mean, did, I'm, I mean, did they tell you like, this is what was going on during these times and what were they? So in the so in the beginning when I was a little less co- coherent and clear, my husband was in the back of the room in the beginning, and he would see from behind some of the things. So we would talk about it afterwards. I would say, "Oh, I thought I felt this or that," and he would then confirm certain things. So yeah, the, a, a lot of what you do um, is retching, um, because really what you're doing is you're retching out the evil. Like you're you're literally. It's not vomit in the sense like you would picture like how we when we have a stomach ache and we vomit. It's not mm. like that. It's different. It comes from a very guttural. Um, it, it's I, I there's it's hard to explain the experience without going through, but it's really just at the the depth of your gut. This kind of retching that happens. That happens a lot. A lot of screaming. A lot of things coming like. Um, uh, you know things coming out of your nose and, and crying and but there was times with um where the demons would just try to um assert themselves and push people like i'd have five people kind of surrounding me holding me down and locking me into place and holding relics on me and sometimes there was some physical altercation there um praise god no one ever really got hurt Amen. um but yeah a lot of that a lot of fast movements like whipping back and forth of the head and you know i'd like to be so dramatic and say my head spun around but no people that really actually doesn't happen you would be dead (laughs) you would be dead Um, we have about uh, three and a half minutes left with therese pacola and uh, i want to get to uh, two things before we say goodbye and that is the saints that visited you during this time and then the moment of liberation what can you tell us so this, I had a lot of saints that came. Um, the Blessed Mother was there. The very, um, she was the very first one to come and, and present herself, and she was there a few times wow. with me. Um, and uh, Saint uh, Pope John Paul II, um, uh, Saint Padre Pio, Saint Michael, um, the Archangel came um, a couple times. Um, wow! Just yeah, and and only once did I kind of see like an image, um, but I felt him. Um, 
kind of push down the demons, if that makes sense, like during um, one of the sessions, like, and they knew it was him because, see, we would find out who was there because they would, the demons would, would start to panic and scream and yell or something would happen that would indicate um, that, or if a relic was touching me, um, they would know what that, who that relic was and they would, um, you know, their name would get spit out or something. So, um, yeah, it was really amazing. And, and God is so good to give us that encouragement during such a difficult time to, you know, people think the saints are untouchable, but really they're meant for our spiritual growth and for friendship. And through something like this, I really, um, it was so eye opening to me that, that heaven is so much closer to us than what we realize. Amen. And so, um, when we, when we ask for their intercession, they really truly are interceding for us. Um, and that time of liberation for me, it was, it was, um, very specifically, the Lord had called me to, um, to consecrate myself to his cross. And I, what I had done the whole time was, was fight that and throughout all of my sessions. They kept, um, father kept asking them, when would they leave? What would be the, um, how would they leave? And they kept saying the cross and we're like, okay, the cross Jesus. And, and we never could make that connection. But what it was, was the Lord was asking me to really place myself, um, at the foot of his cross to put myself really on the cross with him to, to, to accept that suffering, um, really with joy, um, you know, in my life and, and to, to grow in a deeper relationship with him through that. And um, with some very specific goals of, of praying for priests and, and some other things. But um, that was really um, when I released that, when I finally said, um, uh, kind of abandoned myself to him and gave up that control, forgave myself and, and laid myself before him um, was when I was finally liberated. That is amazing. Wow. Praise be to God. We are just about out of time now. Therese Pecola, thank you for your time. I'd love to have you back to have a bigger conversation, flesh more of this out. Uh, hopefully we can get you on uh, for another time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. God love you and God bless you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Wow, what a powerful story. We'll be posting that as a separate video on our YouTube channel later. Check that out. We're going to go to break. We're going to come back with breaking news and stories with Janelle. And then Father Ryan Starways picking up his cross and suffering mightily. We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard the expression, free love? Do you know what it means? It means false love. True love does not want to be free. It wants to bind itself. It wants to give everything and forever. It wants to make a vow, a promise that it will keep. G.K. Chesterton says the man who makes a vow makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place. The question is, will he keep the vow? That's the adventure. The perils and the punishment must be real. If I bet, I must be made to pay, or there's no poetry in betting. If I challenge, I must be made to fight, or there's no poetry in challenging. And if I vow to be faithful, I must be cursed when I'm unfaithful, or there's no fun in vowing. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Hi, Joe McLean here, host of the Catholic Drive Time, heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of the Catholic Drive Time. 
Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. Real Estate for Life offers their clients a faith-based experience. Real Estate for Life is online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time. I'm Janelle Lay, and here are your headline news. Former police officer Derek Chauvin to be sentenced for the murder of George Floyd. Canada shaken by discovery of 751 unmarked graves at Indigenous school. Harris is visiting the southern border after trying to keep the focus away from it. Catholic bishops lament European Parliament abortion vote. In Gilbratar abortion referendum, voters back bill legalizing abortion. A study says first COVID-19 case could have emerged in China in October 2019. Liberal protesters are outraged over misogynist statue of Marilyn Monroe in Palm Springs. Death toll in Miami building collapse rises to three, nearly 100 unaccounted for. Tracy Stone Manning, President Joe Biden's nominee to be director of the Bureau of Land Management, described American children as an environmental hazard while advocating for slowing U.S. population growth in her 1992 graduate thesis. Trump announces second rally since departing White House. Three largest Massachusetts hospital systems requiring employees to get COVID-19 vaccine. Parents sue LA school district over COVID mandates for children. New York adds third gender option to birth certificates and licenses. U.S. to give Afghanistan 3 million doses of Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Hawaii set to drop quarantine and testing requirements for fully vaccinated U.S. travelers. FDA will add heart inflammation warning to COVID-19 vaccines after cases spike. And flesh-eating parasites may be expanding their range as climate heats up. Reported by Catholic News Agency, LGBT activist dances and strips in atrium of Catholic Cathedral. An LGBT activist danced and stripped to scanty underwear in the atrium in front of a cathedral in the town of San Gil, Colombia this week. The suggestive dance took part amid the ongoing demonstrations for the national strike and as part of Gay Pride Month, creating a controversy on social media and outrage among Catholics. And the night of June 21st, a group of LGBT activists gathered outside the cathedral in San Gil, which is located about 150 miles north of Bogota, and watched a member of their group dance and strip to the rhythm of the music. In a blurry video posted on Facebook by the Colombian media El Regional, a voice, a voice is held, heard over a loudspeaker system, presenting the performance by Sasha, who, before starting to dance, exclaims, Long live the queers and long live the whores. Religion cannot oppress our way of loving, love is love, and the strike must be diverse, inclusive, and free of stereotypes. We are love, we are diversity, says a message from the LGBT group as reported by Blue Radio. A national strike called by different leftist organizations began in Colombia on April 28th and has been marked by violence and excesses in different cities, leaving at least 50 dead and dozens injured. From LifeSite News, Trudeau government sneaks in incredibly dangerous new bill to tackle hate speech on last day before recess. On the last day before Canada's House of Commons left for summer break, the ruling Liberal Party under Prime Minister Justin Trudeau snuck in a new hate speech bill that one pundit cited as incredibly dangerous attack on free speech. If passed, the bill would theoretically allow a tribunal to judge anyone who has a complaint of online hate against them to be in violation of the new law. 
Bill C-36 includes text to amend Canada's Criminal Code and Human Rights Act to rather vaguely define hatred as the emotion that involves detestation or vilification and that is stronger than dislike or disdain. The text clarifies that for greater certainty, the communication of a statement does not incite or promote hatred for the purposes of this section solely because it discredits, humiliates, hurts, or offends. And those are your headline news for this morning. God love you and have a good Friday. Praise be to God and all thanks. Thank you, Janelle, for keeping us up to date. I also want to thank uh, gloryandshine.com for generously underwriting a portion of our program, making it possible for us to to get up every day to bring you insightful uh, news and headlines, conversations, guests, and all of that. We're very grateful to gloryandshine.com for their generous support of our program. I want to talk to you just for a moment, and then I'm going to play uh, some audio on the radio for you to listen to. And of course, if you're listening or watching on the video stream, you'll be able to see the video as well, um, of a man by the name of Father Ryan Stotways, a young man. He was only ordained a couple of years ago. And I got to meet him for the first time here in the very studio I am sitting now uh, when he was just a seminarian. And he sat right across from me, and we had a great conversation about why he, was, uh, he felt called to the priesthood and what it was like to be a seminarian. And I had the great honor and privilege of, of getting to know him a little bit. But then he was ordained, and he had cancer, and he's fought and, and suffered mightily. And I want to share with you a little bit from his perspective on why he did that. Well, my name is Father Ryan Stallways. I've been ordained a priest about a year now, and... Here's a little bit about my story. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, journeying with God, placing yourself in the palm of His hand is going to bring a sense of hope, a sense of trust. It's going to bring a sense of fulfillment. And I really started to appreciate that even more when it came time for my priestly ordination. It was maybe a couple months before that where I started having um, trouble breathing at night. I was feeling kind of tired and, and drowsy, and I figured I'd go to see my doctor. When I went in, he, he did an x-ray of my lungs to, to see how things were going, and he told me some, some pretty startling news. He said, Ryan, Deacon Ryan at the time, um, you've got a tumor in your, in your lung, and I think it's cancerous. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to take a look and um, do some further tests. And so for me to, to have that news right at the time of my ordination, right when I felt like my life was, was really picking up, when I was really going to be able to do the things that, um, that I wanted to do, that I'd been preparing to do for so long, was, uh, was quite a blow. Um, but the process of, of going through that, of, of taking that to prayer, realizing that this might not be completely contrary to God's will in my life, as, as mysterious that is. Lord, maybe this experience of life is forming me to, in a unique way, fulfill the mission that you have for me. We have a choice how we will respond when we face hardship uh, of any kind, um, whether we change the course or whether we step back, reevaluate. For my experience, I certainly did a lot of that. Wait a minute, Lord. I've had seven years of seminary um, with a clean bill of health. And then now here, right when I'm 
so excited. Now is when that I'm experiencing these struggles with, um, with my health. And, and I certainly did step back and wonder, what does this mean? What, is, um, what am I supposed to do with this? And um, within that, I, and, and through prayer, I've realized that for Catholics, adversity and hardship is not something to, to shy away from. It's not something to, um, to, to run away from. Um, but to face it and to embrace it with, uh, with the grace of God. One of the paradoxes of our faith is that we look to Jesus Christ on the cross. We look to one who is wounded. We look to our Lord who is suffering for our own healing. Maybe one of the most, um, the most profound experiences I've had is, is being sick myself and being asked to pray for um, the health of another. As I'm praying for those who are sick, as I'm anointing those who are preparing for surgery and, and are asking for God's healing in their lives, to experience the priesthood, to experience being another Christ, recognizing that we're all weak, we're all wounded, and yet God calls us from that place to be a part of the healing of the mystical body of Christ, to be a part of the healing of this world. One of the uncertainties that I had in seminary and, and even as I began to be a priest is, you know, am I going to do everything right? Am I going to, am I going to be the best that I can be? Am I going to be what other people need during that time? And I've experienced a consolation in knowing that God is just asking me to be who I am. He's placed me in these circumstances and he's given me the grace. One of the most beautiful experiences I've had is consecrating the Eucharist, elevating the host, and to realize, Lord, this is who you've called me to be. Lord, I am now who you've asked me to be as a priest of Jesus Christ. And the circumstances of life, the, the concerns about my health, the, the plans for the future, none of that matters in that moment. Just to think that, Lord, you brought me to this point and you've allowed me to experience this and I, I'm, I'm fulfilled in this. My advice to someone who, who is considering the priesthood, who are discerning their, um, their vocation in life, is to be open with our Lord, is to be trusting that His will is the best possible outcome in our lives. To recognize that though we may be wounded and though we may have our weaknesses, that God can accomplish His will through them. That in our weakness, He can become our strength. And so, not to back away, not to shy away um, from the hardships or even the challenge of what God may call you to, but to trust in Him and to learn to love His will. 
This is a Messy Family Minute from Mike and Alicia Hernan. As moms and dads, we have a natural and grace-filled desire to lay down our lives for our children, to provide for their emotional and physical needs as best we can. Moms, particularly, can tend to burn ourselves out for the children, right, ladies? Lunching on leftover mac and cheese, getting up five times a night, cleaning endlessly. How should parents live an ordered life? The first thing we need to remember is that there is no sacrament of parenthood. You receive the grace to be a parent through the sacrament of matrimony, through your marriage. This is how you will bring grace into your family, through celebrating your marriage. Putting your marriage first is the way to be a great parent. Dads, sometimes you need to step in and remind your wife that she's first and foremost your beloved bride. It was God's order that you were first married, and from your love came the children. Remember, your marriage is the foundation of your family. For encouragement and tools to strengthen your marriage and family life, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Joining me now by phone is uh, a friend, a friend of mine, but also uh, a friend of Father Ryan Stowaways. God rest his soul. Good morning to you, Father Preston Cantella. Good morning to you, Father Preston Cantella. Hey, Joe McLean. Praise be to God. It's good to have you on with us today. Thank you for uh, for jumping on. Uh, just before the break, we played a little clip of Father Ryan, uh, which he okay. uh, he recorded this interview uh, with uh, the vocations office here locally. But he talked about him embracing his cross. Now, Father Preston, you've you've known Father Ryan for a number of years. You were ordained before him, but you got to watch him uh, go from seminarian to priest. What was that like for you, and what was your relationship with him? It started off when he came. Well, we first met when he entered the seminary in 2012. We didn't get a chance at that time to get to know each other a whole lot because he was studying uh, his pre-theology at St. Benedict's Seminary in Covington, Louisiana. But when he came over to uh, First Theology in 2014, that's when we got to know him. I got to know him uh, initially and then through sports uh, those uh, three years, two years while I was there at St. Mary's. Uh, playing sports at the um, intramural sports with the other seminaries here and then taking the, the basketball team up to Mondelein and just get to know him as not only a, a future brother priest, but just as a, as a human being, as a man of God, and, and hearing his journey and his story and, and his uh, joy and his zeal for, for the Lord. And then, especially after I was ordained a priest and considering that uh, pre-seminary basketball game and, and then learning about his... Uh, struggle and his onset with cancer uh, right before his priestly ordination he shared this with me that you know he didn't know what to do and he shared that in the video too like you know going to the vocation director and the cardinal like should i continue uh, the path or should i take a step back and you know obviously he was ordained a priest but then just carried that with with uh, the pain and the hurt uh, with the joy and enthusiasm and this reminds me of saint paul's uh, letter to the Col- colossians 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And just hearing him talk about the passion of Jesus Christ and how he was living that out in his daily priestly life uh, on this earth. Um, so that's, that. you know, there was a whole lot more uh, to that, a lot more stories, a lot mm. more interactions, but uh, it's it's been hard, honestly, but um, trusting in the Lord. And, you know, we live in a day and a time, Father, and you know this, uh, where it's all about me. It's all about making me happy. Mm-hmm. It's all about my my passions, my my desires, my wants, and my comfortability. You know, just I want everything to evolve. I mean, everybody says you know the the Earth spins around the sun. I say that the universe spins around me. You know, <laughs> and if I were to move yeah, to Mars, yeah. it would spin around Mars because I'm there. Uh, we live in a day and a time where suffering is bad. I mean, they're trying to uh, you know push euthanasia upon the elderly of the planet, and because you know there's less value in their opinion. And yet, Father Ryan's message was: pick up your cross and follow Christ to Calvary and embrace God's will for your life, no matter what it is. That's an inspiring message for our time. Yes, Joe, I'm so glad you brought that up because that has been heavy, heavy, heavy on my heart. Looking at Father Ryan's radical hurt, the physical hurt of what he was going through, it was painful. And then, like you said, the euthanasia movement. So right now, as you know, there is a a push. If you encounter any little suffering, just end your life. Go to the doctor and they will inject you with this fluid, with this needle, and all the pain will be gone. No, that is not of God. That is wrong. That is moral evil. And Father Ryan says, I'm going to unite my pain and my suffering to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to offer this up for every human being that I've ever encountered that I will never maybe encounter, but that God will use that suffering, what JT2 calls redemptive suffering. Redemptive suffering. And there is radical, radical, awesome love, agape, in what Father Ryan did because he united so intimately with the cross of Jesus Christ, with his passion. He was literally walking the way of the cross yeah. these last few weeks and months of, of his earthly life. It was, um, so, yeah. when, you, when you have someone in your life who suffers through cancer all the way to death, one of the difficulties, mm-hmm. and I remember my colleague uh, Doug Pearson when he was dying of cancer, how... I lamented every time I talked to Doug, I would be just a, a, a emotional mess because I was just so upset that he was going through this, and I really wanted to take that away. When I realized in those moments of my engagement with uh, Doug was I was really just thinking selfishly about myself. You know, watching someone else suffer made me feel uncomfortable, and ultimately I only wanted to feel better. So, and Doug turned to me and he said, "How dare you want to take away the cross God?" has given me to bear how dare you he said that to me yes. on, on his deathbed and with father wow. ryan now i wasn't all that close to father ryan but i had the great privilege and honor of of knowing him and and uh, speaking with him on a number of occasions and just from an outside looking in he he was always seemed joyful he always seemed uh, upbeat and happy never sorrowful never l- lamenting his situation he always seemed to uh you know so with grace and uh, and composure accept God's will for his life. Did, was that your experience of him in these latter days? Yes, no doubt. I spoke to him on Saturday, June the 5th, right after the priestly ordinations. Uh, I called him, and he could. it was a difficult talk because he could barely talk at that point. Mm. 
but not complaining, not miserable. And again, it doesn't remove the, the physical pain and hurt that he was obviously going through. But again, that joy comes from Christ. And even I texted him is June 11th, you know, says, Hey, you know, Ryan, I'm offering my mass up for you this morning. And he says, I mean, Again, he always pointed back to the other person, pointed back to Jesus Christ, said, thank you, may God's peace flow upon you. Hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, it just, uh, that joy flowed from his, his heart, um, and ultimately the heart of Jesus Christ. So well, yeah, man of joy, man of zeal. Have you had the opportunity to speak with his family? I did, yes. I spoke with his mom, what's today, Friday Wednesday afternoon, and um, we had been in touch before he passed, and then she texted me uh, on Monday afternoon, evening, when they when she said they were going to be pulling the uh, the tubes and the and the life saving devices from him. And then I spoke to her on Wednesday for a number of minutes, and I mean just to hear her voice and then the grace that is flowing from the life of, of her son, you know, and it's hard. I, I can't even imagine as, as a mother and father losing a son or losing a, a, a child, but trust, you know, knowing God's, God's plan and trusting that God is a part of all this, that God did not willfully and directly cause this, but allowed it his permissive will. And hearing the joy in her own voice, yeah, and and the trust, the, the the radical trust in Jesus Christ in all of this suffering was a great witness and testament, even to me, as you said. Yes, I mean, there's been some selfishness, some difficult questions <laughs> that I've been wrestling with um, over these over this last week. Uh, a lot of tears, but uh, yeah, so I've spoken with with uh, Susan. Now, I imagine, uh, I know the other night at Adoration, there was like some 2,000 people. I was at the parish where he was uh, serving as parochial vicar last night, mm -hmm. and I spoke to some of the folks there, and, the, and they're expecting a, a massive crowd for his funeral next week. Uh, as a testament, a beautiful testament to uh, the life that he, that he lived. I mean, not perfect, but at the same time, what a, a glorious witness he has given to us. I, and one of the things I like to point out and just witnessing Father Ryan become, or become a priest, right? So he was, he went from uh, a seminarian that I knew and then became a priest and, and seeing that maturity and transformation after ordination even was, I think, very peculiar because you could see in him a great love and desire for for Christ, for the Church, for the Holy Eucharist, and when he celebrated Mass, he did so with great reverence and piety. His love for the traditional form of the Mass, too, and, and wanting to bring the traditional form of the piety to those faithful who desired it. I mean, you could just, he was, you could, it was in every pore of his being. I don't want to eulogize him, but at the same time, uh, I think his witness is quite astounding and we have about a minute left or two minutes left here with your Father Preston. What would you say to us uh, who might struggle through suffering and really you'd be angry at God for whatever difficulties are in our life? Look to the concrete virtues of whether it's Father Ryan or some other past saint and allow that pain and suffering to be transformed into self-gift. You know, this, this idea that stamped in our very beings is this reality to be a gift to another, i.e. Jesus Christ pouring out his blood 
on the cross for for you and I. And so in, in, in this pain and suffering, ask the question and then unite those questions and those moments to the cross of Jesus Christ and ultimately to the Eucharist, the source and summit of our Catholic Christian lives, who helps us and helped Ryan through uh, these difficult moments in his life, to be a witness, not to look in, cave in on himself, but to pour out his life and his body, literally, uh, in these moments for other people. Amen. Amen. I'll never forget trying to interview Father Ryan as a seminarian about the basketball game he was about to play in against the priests. And I was trying to talk trash with him, trying to stir the pot, you know, get a little bit of uh, inner inner team rivalry going here. And he just looked at me like I was crazy. Like, he wasn't sure if I was being serious or if I was joking. And it was kind of funny, actually. But uh, praise be to God, we will cherish yeah. the memories we have of a, of a good priest, a young priest in love with the faith. Father Preston Catella, yeah. would you give us your priestly blessing? Yes. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, find the Lord by your life. Amen. Praise be to God. Father Preston Cantell of the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, thank you for your time today. We're very grateful to you. God love you. You're and uh, God we're bless you sorry for your loss, my friend. We'll be praying uh, for the repose of Father Ryan's soul. And that is going to do it for uh, the, uh, the first hour anyway. The second hour, if you can join us, we'd love to have you. We're going to give out some prizes today in the game show. And if you, if you can hang out on radio, praise God. If not, go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. You can actually watch live. You can interact live there. You can comment at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. God love you. God bless you. We'll see you on Monday if you're not going to hang out. 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. My Protestant friends say the Catholic Church has added a lot of man-made traditions to the Word of God. Is that true? No, it's not true. Protestants go by the written Word of God alone or sacred scripture alone. Catholics go by the entire Word of God as it is found in sacred scripture and sacred tradition. All of the Word of God was originally passed down as oral tradition. Eventually, some of it was written down. This became sacred scripture or written tradition. However, scripture itself tells us that not all the things that Jesus said and did were written down. That's where sacred tradition comes in. Paul says this about tradition. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Traditions taught by word of mouth and traditions taught by letter. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition. In 1 Corinthians 11.2, Paul commends them for maintaining the traditions as he has delivered them. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. And what you have heard from me before many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is an instance in scripture of Paul commanding the passing on of oral tradition. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. 
They received as the word of God that which they heard, not simply that which they read in Scripture. In other words, the Bible clearly supports the Catholic Church's teaching that the word of God is contained in both sacred Scripture and sacred tradition. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Glorianshine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Glorianshine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At Glorianshine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, Glorianshine.com. Thank you again. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. You have survived the week. God is so very good. The weekend is upon us, and prayerfully and hopefully you'll have a great weekend ahead of you. We're looking forward to next week, though. Let me tell you, I'm looking at the lineup next week, and it's looking very, very good. The guests that are going to be on the program are amazing. Tim Ballard is going to be on, Mike Pompeo. The Gladtrads are coming back. They were like one of the early guests of the show. Uh, it's a lot more coming next week. We're very excited about that. But we just wrapped up a great hour of Catholic Drive Time. In fact, the last hour, Michael Lofton was on. We had uh, Therese uh, Pacola on to talk about her experience being possessed and her liberation through exorcism was a really good co- I mean, that was awesome. I, we can't wait to have her back and maybe flesh that out a little bit more. And then we shared with you the story of Father Ryan Stawways, who passed away just this past week, uh, who left a mark, let's just say, here locally. But I'm sure we've all heard or known priests in our diocese all across this great country and beyond in, in around the world who have embraced suffering uh, and heroically, did so heroically. It is such an inspiring to, thing to see. And that's why we shared with you the story of Father Ryan Starways, and we had uh, Father Preston Catella on to talk about that. We'll be posting those interviews as uh, separate videos on our social feeds. Do us a favor and watch those, share those, comment if you can, or just share the podcast if you're able. That would be very helpful to us. Good morning to you, Janelle. Good morning, Joe. What a great first hour. Yeah, it was jam-packed. Thanks be to God. It was really awesome. Uh, nice, nice pace. Uh, what's on the agenda this weekend, Janelle? On the weekend? Ooh. Um, let's see here. I'll be attending a graduation party of a friend, mm-hmm. a really good friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be spending more time with my family. So looking very much forward to that and lots of catching up on sleep to do. Lots <laughs> of catching up on sleep. Yes, I agree. I showed my movie last night, my documentary film at a parish locally, and I didn't get home till after 10 and uh, up at 3 a.m. So I know what you mean. Sleep oh, yeah. is on the agenda. Speaking of sleepy, uh, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Mr. Fonseca. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. Hey, and uh, You sound chipper. You I sound am. like you got some sleep. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> but uh, I'm chipper because, you know, I had a great time yesterday. My buddies with the TFP uh, were down at our house. My uh, 
My mom agreed to feed them. So they're going on their campaign from starting in Houston, uh, heading to Louisiana, down to Florida, and then all the way up to New York uh, to support traditional marriage and fight against abortion. And we uh, fed 20 of them. They were at our house. So it was a lot of fun. We were singing Praise songs, God. ate food. Then we went over to NASA and did a rosary rally there. Um, and then we had dinner together. It was great. So it was a great time. I got, went to bed late too, but you know, praise be to God. I had a great time and, uh, praise yeah, be to so God. It's amazing. Yeah, amen. Rest, you know, it'll, it'll come in time as they say. Well, we are going to jump into our hour. We have, uh, the news. We actually have a newscast for you. Plus we have Saint of the Day and Gospel Day. We skipped those in the last hour. We were doing something special with Michael Lofton. And then we'll jump into the game show. And today is the day where we pull a winner out of the coffee cup of divine providence. Will it be you? That's the question. Could you win the prize? Well, it's possible. You got to play the game. Or if you haven't played this week, you get three more chances today, but you have to be the first caller. And if you want the phone number early, go to the website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Scroll down. And you will see the phone number plus the rules and the sponsor links, all of it there at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. All right, let's pray for your needs, of course, our own and uh, and all those that are facing eternity today. We're going to pray for the repose of the souls of those lost, you know, especially those lost in that uh, building collapse in Florida yesterday. Very horrific thing to see. Let's go to our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. O most sacred heart of Jesus, Pour down thy blessings abundantly upon thy church, upon the supreme pontiff, upon all the clergy. Give perseverance to the just, convert sinners, enlighten unbelievers, bless our parents, friends, and benefactors. Help the dying, free the souls from purgatory, and extend over all hearts the sweet empire of thy love. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Janelle New Jersey lawmakers and parents call to stop mask mandate for children. Pennsylvania legislature advances bill to ban vaccine passport. From the Catholic News Agency, Jesuit priest responds to statement of pro-abortion Catholic members of Congress. A Jesuit priest and radio host on Thursday critiqued a recent statement by Catholic House Democrats who had asked not to be denied communion for their pro-abortion policy stances. In a column published Thursday on the Catholic National Register, Father Robert Matigue, SJ, host and producer of the radio show The Catholic Current, argued that appeals to conscience and the common good by pro-abortion Catholic members of Congress were faulty. What the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops debated last week and what the advances of the statement hold touch upon human dignity and divine sovereignty. There really is a truly Catholic way of getting this right, and no one can afford to get this wrong, Father Matigue wrote. Father Matigue is a priest in the Eastern Province of the Society of Jesus. His radio show airs through the Station of the Cross radio network and on the iCatholic radio app. He is also a member of the National Ethics Board of the Catholic Medical Association. Last week, 60 House Democrats published a statement of principles during the meeting of the U.S. bishops, asking not to be denied communion because of their stances on abortion. While the bishops discussed worthiness to receive communion at their meeting, they voted simply to begin drafting a document on the Eucharist that would include a subsection on Eucharistic consistency. They did not vote on any national policy of denying communion. The Catholic members last Friday stated their commitment to living a Catholic tradition, the common good, and the primacy of conscience, while asking that politicians not be denied communion because of support for a woman's safe and legal access to abortion. 
Father Matig responded to their statement in his column. Citing the members' professed commitment to the common good, he warned against a utilitarian view of the common good and said that abortion can never be part of the common good. All of our striving and all of our individual, communal, public, and private actions ought to facilitate virtue and holiness in this life so that we may enjoy beatitude in the next, he wrote. Properly understood, the common good cannot possibly tolerate, much less advocate abortion. He quoted the members' appeal to conscience, In all these issues we seek the Church's guidance and assistance, but believe also in the primacy of conscience. In, in response, Father Matique wrote, A careful placing of the word but in the statement above makes the loophole a six-lane highway aimed away from the Church. The work of conscience is primarily the work of reason, he said, and is supposed to operate prior to emotion in an accord with Church teaching. Reason, rightly exercised and faith rightly understood, do have primacy inasmuch as one can't do good and avoid evil consistently without them, he wrote. At the same time, right reason and true faith preclude the use of the word but when that word is used to separate the conscious from sacred revelation entrusted by Christ to the church he founded. Noting the members' professed membership in the living Catholic tradition, Father Matig offered a critique of that phrase. The phrase connotes that we are not bound to honor or preserve tradition, but that we'll do what we'll want while keeping only the name of the tradition, he wrote. The living part is expedient change. The tradition part is that we're keeping the brain name. This teaching is reflected in the church's canon law and sacramental discipline, he noted. Reported by Human Events, anti-critical race theory organization launches with over $1 million in advertisements. As critical race theory continues to cripple our nation, a new organization is doing what they can to stand up against it. The group Free to Learn Coalition launched Thursday with over $1 million in advertisements. The organization is running ads on national cable networks and in local markets, specifically targeting New York City, Arizona, and Virginia. It calls to end to an it continues to call for an end to political agendas. The organization's president Ali Mary told Fox News that while American students fall behind the rest of the world in reading, writing, math, and science, our school systems are prioritizing political agendas over academic achievement. After a year of having a seat in the classroom with virtual learning, parents across the nation have had enough, she continued. Free to Learn will help parents hold school boards and administrators accountable. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm Janelle Lay. God love you and have a good Friday. The saint of the day is Blessed Dorothy of Montau. She was born on the 6th of February, 1347 at Gross Montau, Prussia, one of the states of the Teutonic Knights in modern-day Poland. She was a peasant, one of nine children, and was married at the age of 17 to a wealthy swordsmith named Adalbert of Prague. She bore nine children, only one of which survived a girl who became a Benedictine nun. She had a difficult marriage. She suffered abuse from her husband, but she encouraged him in his trade and in his faith. She went on a pilgrimage to Rome, Italy in 1389 and fell ill and was forced to stay for many weeks, during which time her husband died at home. A widow, she became a nun at Marian Verser and had a great devotion to the Blessed Sacrament, which was described as following, quote, the absorption of the Eucharist agitated her like boiling water. Had she been allowed, she would willingly have torn the host from the priest's hands to bring it to her mouth. End quote. 
She lived in a six by nine foot cell, a visionary, a prophetess, and a miracle worker. She died on the 25th of January 1394 in Marienwerder, Prussia, or modern day Poland, of natural causes. She was beatified on the 9th of January 1976 by Pope Paul VI. Blessed Dorothy of Montau, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's still a lot of great stuff to jump into here. Uh, generally, I would have done most of this in the first hour, but we skipped that. We had a special session with Michael Lofton. Um, I want to thank Verboom.com first, Verboom.com forward slash GRN for generously underwriting our our gospel reflections every day. But they let me dive straight into the early church fathers on these passages. And I love the two elements that I want to point out here. One is the fact that Jesus touched the leper. I mean, just how intentional he was. These are people who were uh, ostracized from from the community, not only socially, but also liturgically in many ways. They weren't allowed to be a part of the, the liturgical life of the people, and that is why they had to go to the priest in order to be verified and say, you are cleansed and can be welcomed back, and there would be a rite of purification they would have to go through. And these people were had to wear ragged clothes, they had to be obvious, they had to separate themselves, and Jesus uh, touched them. And which means Jesus was above, you know, this thing that could infect him. The old law would say you you would be infected and therefore not clean, and Jesus, being divine, was above above all of that. Origen, one of my uh, my favorite of the early church, uh, died a heretic, obviously, but he often said so many good things. He said he touched the leper to give us an example of humility, to show that we must never scorn anyone or despise anyone for the wounds or scars on their body. We may. Suffer no leprosy of soul, my beloved brothers, or show no marks of sin on our body. But if we did, we would immediately prostrate ourselves before the Lord and worship Him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Unquote. Origin. But let me skip real quick to the confession, the proto confession that goes on here. Sending this man to the priest to be declared clean. Here's what St. Augustine said. He says, quote, Jesus cleansing of the lepers signify the sacrament of reconciliation. Leprosy represents mortal sin, the spiritual disease that extinguishes grace from the soul and impedes one's full participation in the church. This condition can also be contagious and influence others through scandal and false contrition. The Levitical priest typifies new covenant priests who are instrumental in reconciling sinners with God and restoring them to spiritual health through the sacrament, unquote. St. Chrysostom said, the priest of the old law had authority and privilege only to discern who were healed of leprosy and to denounce the same to peep to the people. But the priests of the new law have power to purify in very deed the filth of the soul, unquote, St. Chrysostom. Praise be to God. What a beautiful thing. 
to see our Lord be so intentional and to touch those that are uh, diseased of soul and of body and to heal us and to provide us the sacrament of confession with which we can be reconciled you know, through this grace in the priest who stands in Personae Christe. So, amen to that. All right, we are going to jump into our, we're going to go to break. We're going to come back and jump into our game show. If you would like to play and possibly win the prize, and we're going to draw the prize today out of the coffee cup of divine providence, all you need to do is call right now to be our first our first caller and our contestant. First caller always gets to be the contestant at 877-757-9424. Call right now. Phone lines are open at 877-757-9424. Janelle is standing by to take the call at 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. We'll be right back to play the game. Can we be happy without God? Atheists say yes. We Christians say yes, but only to a certain extent. What's our reason? There are some natural human desires that can be satisfied without living for God. The desire for sensory pleasure, success, and loving relationships. There are certain desires, however, that can't be satisfied without God. For example, we don't just desire some love, we desire infinite love, love without limit. This is manifest when we get frustrated with imperfect manifestations of it. The same is true for knowledge, justice, and beauty. Since God alone is infinite in these perfections, only He can satisfy our desires for them. Therefore, to borrow from St. Augustine, without God, our hearts would be forever restless. And my friends, a restless heart is an unhappy heart. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers. Catholic.com day when each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God. We will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling. The phone lines are open. We are waiting for our first caller to come in and play the game. And today is the day when we pull the prize out of the coffee cup of Divine Providence. So if you have never played before, today's your chance. And here's the kicker. You don't even need to know the answers to these questions that I have in my hand in order to win. You could win and never know a single answer to the question. It's that fun and that easy. All you got to do is call 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. First caller gets to be the contestant at 877-757-9424. Praise be to God. All right, here is how the, the thing works, right? So... Th- 
As I say, and you've heard me say this a billion times, we have a secret and hidden agenda. So please don't share this publicly. But we do like to do a few things through the game show. We like to teach the faith, number one. And so we look for teachable moments in the questions. And we always tend to learn something we did not know before about our faith. And praise be to God for that. The other thing we like to do is we like to have a little fun. We like to have a laugh in the process of learning these things. And our contestants, they tend to laugh right along with us and be a lot of fun. And we're very grateful for that moment. And then, of course, we like to give out prizes, kind of making it a winner for everybody involved. But as I said a minute ago, we don't ask the caller these questions. So the caller does not even need to know the the uh, the answers to these questions to win the game, which makes it even more fun. Because I won't ask them. I will ask Janelle. I will ask Adrian. One of them will be right and the other will be wrong. And so the caller will have 15 seconds on the clock to make a decision. Who do they trust more? Do they trust Janelle? Do they trust Adrian? And uh, every right answer goes into the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize. And Again, today, we pull the name out of the cup and announce the winner live over the radio. So that is how the game is played. Now, Janelle, really quickly, what could they win? Ooh, they can win a six-month subscription to the Wanderlust Catholic, a snail mail letter describing Catholic treasures around the world. Each month, subscribers will receive a hand-lettered and illustrated letter detailing the beauty and wonder of a piece of Catholicism. Explore churches, apparition sites, saints' homes, pilgrimage sites, local traditions, and more. Children and adults will alike will watch the mailbox in anticipation awaiting a new tale. Thank you, Annunciation Designs. All right. Praise be to God. Thank you, Annunciation Designs. We're very grateful for your sponsorship. Let's go to the phones. Is it uh, Rosemarie? Good morning to you. Good morning. Praise be to God. Where are you calling from? Uh, Garland, Texas. Garland, Texas. All right. I can't remember the last time. Have we ever had a caller from Garland? I don't think so. So, well, thank you for being the first Garland, Texas caller today. Now, Rosemarie, have you been listening to the show? Do you know how the game is played? Yes, I listen to it every morning. Hey, praise be to God. We're grateful to you. Where do you go to church, by the way? Uh, Good Shepherd uh, here in Garland. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, you if you listen, then you know. You, you know the secret, right? I mean, Janelle, Adrian, they can be very tricky, very manipulative. Okay. They're going to try to throw you curveballs. you got to listen carefully, right? Okay. But you know also then that I am your best friend. I am on your side. I am trying to make you a winner today. You, you do realize that as well, right? Right, always. Uh, Adrian, why are you looking at me like that? It's true. It's true. All right. Time to play the game. Are you ready, Rosemary? I am. Janelle, we will start with you, as is our custom. Right. Are you ready? Uh, I, I think so. Are you Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. Janelle, can you tell me, what also are the days of abstinence in addition to Fridays? So other than Fridays, what other days of abstinence are there? Mm, I'm going to go with Ember Days. Ember days. Ember days. Ember days. Interesting, yes. interesting. Ember days. Let's see what uh, Brother Adrian has to say. Adrian, can you tell me, in addition to Fridays, uh, what other days of abstinence are there? Hmm. I'm going to go with rogation days. You guys in your fancy terms. Rogation days. Si, senor. Rogation. Is that the stuff that grows hair? I... I, I that's you know, rogation. Sorry, different I'm, thing. Different thing. All right. So your answer is rogation days. See, si. and uh, Janelle's on the hook for Ember days. 
15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Rosemary, what say you? Uh, I'm going to go with... Uh, mm, Survey says... Wow. Wow. That's a good good guess. That was kind of a tricky question, wasn't it? Very tricky question. Very tricky. You did great, Rosemary. You are in the coffee cup of divine providence. Well done. What is an ember day? What is a rogation day, Adrian? Uh, I guess quickly, uh, ember day are additional days of fasting and abstinence that are during the change of seasons four times a year, um, specifically for the priesthood and for harvest. Rogation days are days of fasting and prayer and processions that happen twice a year on Ascension Thursday, and I can't remember who the other one is. <laughs> All right. Oh, well done, Rosemary. Very, very proud of you. All right, so let's go to the question number two, see if we can double your chances today. We'll go to Adrian for here. Uh, Adrian, can you tell me what prayer should be said when the priest is giving absolution in the confessional? Uh, that would be the confidior. The the confitior. The confession and the confitior. Sounds like a link there. I'm not sure. Hmm. Let's go to Janelle. Janelle, can you tell me what prayer should be said when the priest is giving absolution in the confessional? Well, I think Adrian is wrong. I'm pretty sure it's not the confitior. I'm going to go with the act of contrition. The act of contrition. Yes. I wonder if we could put that on a button. Can we put, I think Adrian is wrong on a button as <laughs> no. a sounder that we can play over You would spam it the entire show. I think Adrian is wrong. Not, not possible. Not possible. All right. Possible. So here's the deal. Janelle is on the hook for the act of contrition is the prayer to pray after the absolution. And Adrian is on the hook for the confitior is the prayer to pray after the act of or the giving of absolution in the confessional. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Janelle or Adrian? Rosemarie, what say you? Adrian. Are you sure? I'm so sorry! Ouch! I, I, I blame Joe. I blame Joe. He was hinting that I was right the whole time. <laughs> Wow, you're a little fast on that buzzer button there, uh, my friend. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry, Rosemary. Yeah, it's a tricky piece of business here. But in fact, it is the act of contrition. The confitior, what is that, Adrian? That's the prayer, I confess to Almighty God, that we say uh, during Mass before the priest, uh, at least in the traditional Mass, gives an absolution um, but yeah, they're similar. They're similar. They're similar. There's a similarity right. there, but uh, in fact, the correct answer is the act of contrition. But don't fear, Rosemary. You get another opportunity here to increase your chances. And uh, this, okay, so this one is a teachable moment. I think it'll be it fine. Uh, I did not know this, so we'll see how this goes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Back to Janelle. Janelle. Oh boy. Janelle, we got about two minutes. What is the term for the provision of whatever might be necessary to maintain life to a member of a religious order? Okay. Oh, man. I'm going to go with a donation. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's morning allergies. That's all. Uh, let's go to Adrian. Um, Adrian, can you tell me what is the term? For the provision of whatever might be necessary to maintain life for a member of a religious order. Yes, uh huh. That would be an an element or element, an element. Or, or other words, you could say a elimination, elimination, elimination. 
Interesting. Hmm. Ailmentation? A- okay, so Adrian is on the hook for ailment, and uh, Miss Janelle is on the hook for a donation. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Rosemary, what say you? Adrian! Adrian? Just morning allergies. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Praise be to God! <laughs> you did it! You did it! I feel like you there's some it. cheating going on no, here. No, I, I just morning allergies. You know uh-huh. how it is. You know, okay. you know how it is. It's mm-hmm. just it's it's Houston. We got Ouch. a lot of allergies down here. Uh, well done, Rosemary. Well done. Well done. Praise be to God. Of course, of course, it's uh, ail- ailment. As I say it, elementation. Elementation. Like it I, means to feed. I'd never heard of that before. I mean, like yeah. in Latin, it's uh, to feed. Elementare. All right, Rosemary, you're in the cup for two chances. <laughs> Praise be to God, it could be you today. I'm going to keep you on the line. It might not be, though, so uh, b- brace yourself. God's will be done in all things. The coffee cup of divine providence is being uh, shifted around and, and mixed up, and Janelle's going right. to pull out a winner. Here we, we go. We have a winner. We have Myrna from Arlington, Texas. Myrna from Arlington. Congratulations. Praise be to God. Uh, Rosemary, I'm so sorry. We had fun playing, but it was not God's will for you to win today. Okay. I'm just glad I got to. Amen. Praise be to Jesus. Thank you for being a great sport with us and hanging out with us today. We're very grateful to you. All right. Have a blessed day. God bless you and you too. Have a great day. That is going to do it for the radio side of Catholic Drive Time for the whole week. Praise be to Jesus. Had a great week. And uh, we're glad that you are here. If you can and you want to, hang out with us in the after show where we conversate a little bit more casually for the next half hour. You are welcome to do so. You can hang out on YouTube. You can hang out on Facebook or Twitter. Or if you don't want to be on any of those places, you could simply just go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. grnonline.com forward slash cdt. You can watch live. You can even comment live right there. Uh, right on our page at grnonline.com forward slash cdt. Next week, we're going to have uh, Tim Ballard, who rescues children from human sex slave trade, and Mike Pompeo and the Glad Trads, and so much more is coming up on the show next week. Please do us a favor and tune in 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. God love you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Alrighty, we're back. Praise be to God. And, uh, you know, we have a, well, it's a great show today. I really enjoyed our conversations, especially, I always love having Michael Lofton on. He's, uh, I love watching uh, Reason and Theology, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. And we have a lot of people listening today, so praise be to God for everyone that came on. I have a lot of my friends are listening. I see uh, my friends Josh and Alex are on the on the chat right now, but praise be to God for that. But uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, let us know what y'all want to talk about. Mike said, Adrian, you are picking up those almost right answers this morning. Yeah, yeah. The uh, answering the questions is a lot of fun. And I try to give answers either ridiculously wrong, where it's hilarious, or 
a good wrong answer that is a good teachable moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are my my two uh, two types of questions that I try to try to answer as best oh, yeah. I can. We have a, like a blast trying to come up with like the wrong answers um, for the trivia questions all the time. So it's always a fun time. Uh, we see I see a lot of new people at, in the comments section today. Do you? I do. Who do you see? Oh man, where where I just saw them? Where are they? I'm scrolling. I'm looking for them. Uh, I know I saw on my farm. I believe it's the <laughs> name of the person, and uh, I never on the I never birth seen certificate. Before. And on the birth certificate, that was her name. Um, but thanks for being <laughs> on with us, Mr. Farm. <laughs> Praise be to God. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Farm. You're it's uh, it's good to have you. It's good to be here. And uh, but yeah, that's that's one of the people I saw. And uh, you know William Hemsworth, the Bible Catholic, he was like, you know, this is a uh, th- this gospel uh, reflection today about reconciliation, mind blowing. Never mind heard anything like blowing. it. And Jesus was like, I need to get my ver- uh, get myself a Verbum membership. Well, if you would decide to get a Verbum membership, just remember forward slash what is it, CDT or GRN? GRN. GRN. There you go. Forward slash GRN. Amen. I you know I've been meaning to uh, I'm going to publish a video where I'm going to ch- share with you my screen and actually show you how I use Verboom just to do the gospel reflections. I need to uh, put that together, but I've been meaning to do that to show you how I look at the actual gospel and then look at the res- resources that I've chosen. I have a ton of resources in Verboom, but I have a small handful that I love to go to uh for the gospel reflections because they get me to the heart of the matter super quick and they get me to the early church fathers super quick. And that's what I love the most about it. But uh, it's, it's a powerful tool. Now I wish I could say it's also very affordable. I mean, it's not the cheapest thing that you're going to invest in, but if you're really into gospel, if you're really into studying the faith, studying scripture and, and theological works, this is a powerful tool to help you connect everything together. Uh, that's what I love the most. It's like if if I go to a particular passage, uh, it'll automatically go to that uh, reference in all those other sources, the commentaries and and whatnot. And I love that about it. It just makes it so easy, so straightforward, easy to dive deep, quick. And I love it. Praise be to God. Is Jesus Moreno a new commenter? No. No. Okay. Uh, he's been on quite a bit. Oh. Good morning from Roanoke, Virginia, Glenn. Praise be to God. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Uh, destination for this afternoon is Hansville, Alabama, the Shrine of the Blessed Sacrament. Yay and amen. Um, I love that place. Love it, love it. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. I'm grateful that you're going to get to go there. Uh, who else? What else is going on today? Lori says, My discussion with most Protestants are their feelings that confession is not necessary, and this was an excellent example of why we do need to go to confession. You know, I've, uh, I used to do a lot of apologetic work, and I've written and given talks and done podcasts extensively on, on uh, biblical apologetics. And when it comes to confession, there is strong biblical ar- uh, evidence and uh, argumentation for the sacrament, very strong. I mean, go back to the Old, the Old Testament. In the book of Leviticus, it, it it makes it very clear. If you uh, if you had a sin, you had to go to the you had to go to the tent or go to the temple, and you had to offer a sacrifice. You had to go to the priest in the Old Testament, and you had to bring a sacrifice based on your sin. And how would the priest know if you brought the appropriate sacrifice unless he asked you? 
right? So if you committed a small sin, it, a smaller animal was involved. A big sin, a bigger animal is involved. That means cost, right? To bring a, uh, a, an ox, to bring a bull, these things cost a lot of money, which is why the high priest every year had to offer a bull for himself and for his family. And for the sins of all the people, only a little goat, or like a sheep, you know, um, which should tell you something about those in charge, right? The hierarchy. Um, but if you brought a little pigeon and you should have brought a bull, well, that's a problem, isn't it? And how would the priest know if you brought the appropriate sacrifice unless he asked you what your crime was, what your sins were? So you see a proto-confessional uh, proto going on just in the book of Leviticus, let alone go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, there in the Garden of, Gets, uh, Garden of Eden, rather, when our Lord is walking in the cool of the day. By the way, the Hebrew word for that, that sound that's being made there is, if you, it's worthy of a, of a, of a, of a study. Go and research what the sound was that is being uh, implied by the Hebrew word, Hebrew language there in the uh, Genesis chapter 3. It is not the cracking of twigs of our Lord, you know, pleasantly walking in the, in the garden. It is like the sound of rushing waters. It is like, you know, uh, it, it struck fear in the heart of, of Adam and Eve, and that's why they hid in the bush. But there's a proto-confessional going on there in Genesis 3 too, where he meets them where they're at, he draws them out into confession. They confess their sins, and then he gives them penance. He gives each of them penance. And so you see these uh, these seeds for the sacraments being placed all throughout the Old Testament. And then, of course, in the New Testament, as we saw today in today's gospel, our Lord is also, again, pointing the way to the sacrament that will be instituted. Uh, of course, we read about it in John 21 when he comes after the resurrection and he breathes upon his apostles, just like the, uh, in the, back in Genesis chapter one, right? So he breathes the, or Genesis chapter two, when God breathes in the Ruah of God into, into Adam and he breathes upon them and, and he gives them the command to go and hear, hear sins, to hear confessions and to forgive and to bind and to loose. And uh, so it's it's powerful uh, biblical arguments for the sacrament of confession. Yeah, it's really cool, especially since uh, if you look at the Irish manuals. So it's really cool. The, the whenever the church came to Ireland, the Irish manuals that came out at that time were the were essentially the same thing. They had your sins, and then they matched them with a penance. So if you committed X sin, then it was like you had to do. Uh, Five days of fasting. If you did B sin, you had to abstain from the Eucharist for two years. Um, and it was like these crazy things that you would like, you're like, whoa, like that's crazy. I only get five Hail Marys or three Hail Marys or half a Hail Mary. Uh, but yeah, back, back, uh, in the church and the church that we're in, the Catholic church, uh, they used to have a, a whole book, a manual that you would literally just cross reference. If you committed X sin, you did this. If you did X sin, you did that. Um, in the same kind of way that we see, like, if you did X and you need a pigeon, if you did had X and you need a <laughs> lamb, if you had X and you need an entire, uh, ox, and if you're, uh, me, then you have to uh, sacrifice your entire ranch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I bring a mouse to the confession. Uh, I believe go. it. I believe it's it. All, it's a tiny little mouse. It's all I got today for you, Father. <laughs> yeah, right, pal. Like, go go back, give me your entire ranch, <laughs> you better, and then we'll talk. Like, you better bring an elephant. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, but but uh, I love I love to talk about um, you know uh, the the biblical roots of our of our sacraments. Now, of course, as Catholics, you know we don't hang our hat solely upon sacred scripture. Uh, we have scripture and tradition, right? So it's and I always like to remind folks there was never a time 
in the history of the assembly of God or the ecclesia, the church of God, when the people did not exist before the book. And the book, it only receives its context from the people, from the church. And uh, so, the church is a fruit of that body. And that, I think, is important to remember. So, we go back to the early church fathers, which is why I use the early church fathers to look at the gospel. I want to know what was their opinion. How did they see this? To me, that was a big part of my own conversion experience coming in to the church was those early Christians. How did they look at sacred scripture? How did they see the church? How did they see worship? And uh, for me, that was a huge part of my giving my fiat to Christ and to his church. And I, of course, when we can and we prefer to, uh, when we go through like uh, great commentators like Cornelius Alapade, um, just because it's so profound, right? I mean, it's just such such good meat on the bone there. Um, I thought I saw something here, a comment I wanted to read. Lori wanted to know if I was going, she said, uh, I'll just read her comment. Yeah. She said the that she enjoyed the singing on my Facebook story yesterday. Will you be putting it on YouTube? And she said, I said, would you like to? Would you like me to? She said, yes, please, and thank you. So I will. So for y'all who don't know, I was uh, I was saying earlier, how my friends with the TFP were over at our house, and so I uh, put up an Instagram and Facebook stories on the uh, the little trip that they made over to uh, my side of town, and then uh, talked to some of the guys, and they sang, we sang songs. We sang uh, El Cid, and it was a lot of fun. We sang other songs, too, but I only recorded that one, so I'll put that on YouTube of us. I'll just uh, save them onto my phone, and I'll just upload them onto YouTube, but it was a lot of fun. I love those guys. Yeah, praise be to God. Lori also says, half a Hail Mary. Never heard of that one. Me neither. <laughs> As penance, right? The yeah. half a Hail Mary. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they were like, you know, we're trying to be more traditional. So, you know, before the the Holy Mary part of it, of the, it, was, it was originally just the first half. So we're just going to do the first half. Mm, just, I'm just kidding. That never happened to me. That never happened. That never happened. Things that never <laughs> happened. Hashtag yeah. things, things that, that never happened. never happened. Though I have, I have heard people... Uh, say something like that, but like, oh, the original Hail Mary was just the first half of the Hail Mary, and so really, if you really want to be traditional, you'll do that and trying to mock traditionalist. Uh, but you know, the there's an organic development to things, and the uh, Hail Mary was developed from the first half, which is straight from Scripture, to the second half. Specifically, it was done during the bubonic plague, during the Black Death, in order to uh, because so many people were dying, so they wanted people to pray now and at the hour of our death. And so uh, that was added to the Hail Mary, and it's been there for the next nearly, uh, I guess, 500 years-ish. Yeah. So, praise be to God. Yeah, praise be to God. Wow. Um, I'm a little worn out today. I mean, staying up late last night. How was it? How was the talk? It was great. Praise be to God. You know, we had. I haven't uh, shown my film in a, in a little while, so I had Good reception? Uh, yeah, I, ha- I hadn't seen it in a long time, I guess, uh, myself. But, you know, it's interesting when you make videos. I know, Adrian, you can appreciate this. You've made a lot of videos. Like, they become your babies, but I don't really like watching myself, and I don't <laughs> yes. like re-watching I my own work. I, like, I get off the show, and I'm grateful that we had a great show today. I'm very grateful for the great show that we did have today. But I probably am not going to go back and watch it again. You know, I just, it's it's awkward. It feels awkward. I feel so cringe. Doesn't it? So, like, when I first published my movie, my documentary, I had to watch it a lot, and it was yeah, it was difficult at first for me because I had to watch it so many times. But I hadn't seen it in a long time now. It's been a long time. It's always available. It's free. You can go to my website, livinghislife.net. You can see that film and some of the other films that I've produced there as well. Uh, livinghislife.net. You can they're on Vimeo. You can see them there. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. 
Uh, but last night was interesting because it's been a while, and I had a you know, so I got to watch it again. I felt like it was fresh again, and and uh, I was uh, I was quite moved just watching watching the the whole thing. And then of course you never know, like you're you're putting yourself on display in front of all these strangers, and you just never know how it's going to get received and what they're gonna uh, what they're gonna say and think and and uh, and of course by God's grace, it was very well received. We had a great discussion afterwards. So I gave a talk first on the father wound and sort of what led me to make the project. And then I showed them the film. And then afterwards we did a Q&A session and uh, we had just had a free form conversation a lot like this about uh, some more of the details in the film. And then of course, a lot of the background uh, details that, uh, that aren't included in the film. So it was really, really great. I'm so grateful to Prince of Peace for have hosting me last night. But getting home at 10 o'clock and waking up at 3, super not, not easy. Not easy. Yep, yep. I've been doing that almost every day this week for some reason. <laughs> for some uh, odd reason. I've been going to bed at 10 o'clock uh, almost every single day this week or later. But, you know, yeah. eventually I'll go to bed. Eventually, yeah. Eventually. Praise be to God. Uh, I thought I saw a comment over here. Yeah, Buddy Kane, my, our friend Buddy. He asked a tough question today that uh, we can conversate about. He, he says, why does Pope Francis hold a lot of communist views? Or instead of said another way, why does he espouse communist views? Mm. Uh, that's a great question that I can't, uh, obviously, I, I can't speak on behalf of His Holiness Pope Francis. I can't, you know, I can only speculate uh, on some things. But it, it, there are, obviously, we've, we've talked about these sort of issues on the show before in the past. There are issues that he seems to espouse that are very, very troubling. Um, from a socialist communist perspective. And I speculate, and again, pure speculation on my part, but I speculate that it has a lot to do with the socialist infiltration of South America mm, over the past several say. decades. That just has, it has permeated the culture there in, in a large way. And I think a lot of things that are uh, sort of uh, uh, errors right i'm trying to look for the appropriate word here a lot of things that are that are not right they they can become normal they can become just part of culture and people without thinking about it can just accept these things and sort of move on and then uh, so i really feel like that's probably a big reason for uh, a lot of the things that we find troubling that he seems to espouse or, or at least tolerate quite a bit those kinds of things and uh, just gives us a reason to pray suffer and fast for his holiness um Pope Francis. Is the feed frozen? Uh, it doesn't look frozen it's, to me. It seems like it to, my, to mine. Hmm. Mm. Um, you know, we talked to Paul Kengor twice now on the show. His work on Karl Marx, as I think, is a very eye-opening piece of work. I, last night, I published, I made public the entire hour uh, of the first conversation we had with him. You might remember when we first talked to him about uh, the devil and Karl Marx, we recorded that interview. We only shared the full hour with our email list subs, our, our, our CDT insiders. And uh, so I gave you first access to the whole hour of that. And then we took 20 minutes of that conversation and put it live on the radio show. Uh, well, last night, I made that hour public to just anyone. So if you want, you can go to our YouTube channel, uh, Catholic Drive Time's YouTube channel. So youtube.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Is it Catholic Drive or Catholic Drive Time? I'm um, sorry, it wasn't paying. On YouTube. On YouTube. It's uh, Catholic Drive Time. Catholic Drive Time. So youtube.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. It's also linked up on our website, by the way. And you can actually get the entire hour we did with uh, Dr. Paul Kengor about the devil and Karl Marx. 
And I think that was an eye-opening conversation. We, mm. we talked to him a second time uh, where we followed up specific to the infiltration component. Um, but uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely an eye-opener to have those conversations. Yeah, and like, like Joe was saying, I would also I, – you can't, I can't speak directly to Pope Francis, but uh, it is very common, especially in South America, liberation theology is incredibly prevalent and really infiltrated – uh, South America in a very huge way. And I've spoken to a lot of people who espouse liberation theology. And the problem is they're, they're very nefarious liberation theologians. They're very nefarious because they wrap up Catholic theology yes. with communism, but they do it yeah. in such a way that it's almost unobjectionable on its face. And I say on its face because once you start diving deeper into it, then you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, what did we get ourselves into? But on its face, it kind of sounds like, well, actually, it sounds a lot like what you hear from a lot of the leftist Catholics in uh, America today. You hear like the Democrat Catholics, uh, well, I don't want to say Democrat Catholics, but a lot of the Democrat politicians that espouse uh, heretical beliefs and claim to be Catholic, they'll say things like, oh, well, you know. We need to help the poor. We need to do, we need to provide people with the healthcare they need. And these are all things that on their face seem unobjectionable. And it's like, yes, absolutely. God has asked us to take care of the poor and we need to provide people with the necessities they need to survive. But when you start diving deeper into it, what are the underpinnings of these ideas? They're not based in scripture. Now, they'll sprinkle scripture around to try to make it sound more appealing to the Christian audience, to the Christian people. But underneath it, it's not actually Christian principles that they're trying to push, but instead it's communist principles. And so that's why you can see like, oh, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's good. That's very good. What people are saying, what these bishops are saying, what these priests are saying, what these politicians are saying. But then you start realizing there's a greater agenda there. And it's not always the case that they're aware even that they're doing this. It has just been so ingrained. Cause I know a lot of very holy and very good priests that are, uh, and I won't mention any names, but that are very good priests that espouse liberation theology. They just have it cause they were trained in South America. They were went to seminary in South America and they receive this, even though they're faithful priest, they love God. They believe in the blessed sacrament. They say mass and it's beautiful. But at the same time, these ideas have so been embedded in it that it just comes out in conversation. It comes out in the preaching, even though they don't intentionally desire to push a communist agenda yeah. or have communist ideas, it just starts coming out naturally. And so I don't want to speak to Pope Francis's intentions, but I do know that is very prevalent in South America. And I know personally a lot of uh, priests that are that have that exact problem. Well, you know, there's another thing. That's true. I've seen this in all segments of humanity. People do what they're trained to do, right? I've seen like if doctors, for instance, doctors are trained to do things that doctors do. And doctors tend to treat people who aren't doctors like, like they're nurses, you know, or assistants. Lawyers treat people like paralegals, for instance, and businessmen treat people like secretaries. I mean, they don't mean to be demeaning or, or what have you, or, but they, they've been trained to think and act and do these things. And even though they're good people, good Christians or whatever, they still, they still kind of do these things just out of pure habit and training. The same is true for seminarians who become priests and then eventually bishops, cardinals, and what have you. Um, you know, if they've had some malformation through the seminary formation process, 
that can stick with you for decades. And we've seen that over the past 50 years. And that was part of what Dr. Paul Kingor was talking about in his section on infiltration in his book, The Devil and Karl Marx. The concerted effort by the Communist Party in the USA especially, but we've been talking about liberation theology down through South America, which is also addressed in his book as, a, uh, as an effort by the KGB to infiltrate into South America. So those things, and even, uh, what's his name, uh, George Weigel. George Weigel in his book, The End and the Beginning, which was a follow-up to his bio on JP2, even he talks about the infiltration of the KGB, even at the Vatican's level. And that's George Weigel. We're not talking, you know, uh, people who are considered, quote, fringe, unquote. We're talking about mainstream writers here, George Weigel, Dr. Pen- Dr. Paul Kengor. And they're, they're showing you through source, through evidence, uh, through documentation, that this is actually something that had occurred, something that they were doing. And they were quite successful at it. So you can't... You can't just dismiss the fact that they put so much effort, time, and energy into spreading their socialist, Marxist, communist ideas, even into seminaries, and don't think that that's going to have a dramatic effect on the the, gener- the two generations of priests and more that we've had since that time. So, um, definitely a, a big deal. And I think that that, uh, that definitely has affected, uh, you know, His Holiness Pope Francis, who grew up, lived, breathed in that, in that culture, and to what degree does he espouse those things? I can't say, and I would not want to hazard that guess uh, because it's beyond my pay grade. Yeah, it was a huge shock to me uh, whenever I uh, found out that priests are not necessarily trustworthy, and uh, that was really shocker to me when I was younger. I, you know, I, mean, I thought, you know, my mom would tell me X, and then I would hear the priest say Y, and I was thinking, I was like, oh, "Come on, mom, you're not, you don't know what you're talking about." Father knows better. Father's uh, went to seminary. He went to school for eight years. He knows, and so it was. It was things like, um, like the feeding of the five thousand and uh, the miracle of sharing, the miracle that kind of, of thing. I've heard a homily and like that. I have too. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I spent Horrible. the rest of my mass just yeah. being upset, <laughs> but I didn't know better because I was a child when I heard it, and I was like, oh well. I mean, father knows, right? And it was the biggest shock to me to realize whenever people say, oh, you think you know better than father. Well, yeah, sometimes I think there's a lot of people who know better than Father, and it doesn't take much. Uh, Professor Plinio called it a Catholic sense, which he kind of compared to a common sense. He said it's a Catholic sense where you just know something is wrong. When you're formed, the Catholicism is in your bones, then you just you may not be able to put your finger on what the problem is. You may not be able to articulate and how to describe the problem or even refute the problem, but you just know in your bones, you have a Catholic sense that something is not quite right. Yeah. Uh, and you should trust that because that's the stirrings of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Um, but yeah, I think it's very important. Yeah. Praise be to God. Luz says she wants us to pray for pray for her and her friends. She says, I want to ask you all for prayers. A friend of mine and I will be going to pray at the local abortion center. It has been a long time since we have gone. We're praying for you, Luz, and thank you for your for your uh, witness. Thank you for going down there and praying for those uh, to save those babies, but also to save them, the moms and the dads and the doctors and the nurses too. We, uh, that's part of the pro-life movement, and we're grateful, Luz, that you do that. So God, God bless you. We're praying for you today. Um, Let's see what else. What who? What are you guys doing this weekend? We have a, f- a couple minutes left. What do you guys? What's on the agenda for the weekend? Uh, we've got family coming in today, so it's going to be a crazy house for the next week. 
Don't uh, you have a panel discussion today? Oh, that's tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. So yeah, so the the event that I participated in last night and again on Saturday, it's a, a religious um, freedom conference that ta- it, it it was a multi day event at the uh, parish here in the local area. And uh, so they asked me to play my movie, which I did. Of course, I already shared that. I played that. We gave a little talk. And then Saturday, we, there's going to be a keynote from Dr. Peter Kreeft. That's right. You were correct. Kreeft, not Kreeft. It has been definitively solved. By Dr. Rebar. You no, no longer need to debate. Is it Kreeft? Is it Kreeft? It has been solved. Now, unfortunately for you and me and us and our audience, we failed to definitively solve that on air. We, just, oh, we solved right. it all. forgot. But I meant to ask uh, Dr. Ted Rebard, who was our guest, was it last week or earlier this week? I get, I oh forget. Oh my goodness, it feels like a long the, time the ago. The days are, are meshing. It feels like a month ago. It feels like a long time ago now. But oh man. When was it? When did he come it on? It was Monday. It was this Monday. Monday. It was Monday. Wow. Oh my goodness. That feels like it's so long ago. <laughs> the days are all blended together. Yeah, so he came on, Dr. Rebard, who is a professor of philosophy at USD. We talked about uh, helping your kids discern college. Should they go to college at all? If so, how do they pick a college? What do parents need to be thinking and doing to help them understand their very calling in life? Uh, that was a great episode, great interview. It's it's linked up on our YouTube channel, by the way. You should check it out. But uh, he studied under Dr. Peter Kreeft, and he definitively uh, answered the question, is it Kreeft or Kreeft? I, so I digress. Yeah, he said it was Kreeft. He said it's Dutch. It's Dutch. So uh, that, that means anything to me. Dr. Peter Kreeft is going to be here. He's giving the keynote on Saturday. And then there's going to be a panel discussion, which I am going to be a panelist. And my part of my part of that panel is uh, talking about in regards to religious freedom, religious liberty, is about as a parent how we must shore up our kids, prepare our kids to face the difficulties that they will find in society around them. So that's what's going to happen on Saturday for me. Mm. Luz says, I want to share that one of my friends that works as a counselor for birth choice says that sadly there are so many women going to abort their babies, but she also told us that her director actually told her that the director of the abortion center that we are going to uh, go and pray at actually admitted that they don't care when the counselors uh, where the, that I guess they don't care when the counselors are there. They're trying to talk to women to try to convince them not to go through uh, with their abortions. He says, uh, "What what really bothers them is when they see people. They see um, hold on." See people praying. I'm sorry to have not read this correctly. Uh, it just says, what bothers the abortion clinic is not the counselors, sidewalk counselors, it's the people praying that bug them the most. Mm. Now, focus on that, huh? Many lives have been saved through, uh, thanks be to God, prayers is powerful. Let's keep praying for the end of abortion. Amen. Yes, they don't like the prayers. Why? Ooh. Could the diabolical be involved in Impossible. this process? Makes no sense. Come on now. Now, I found that interesting in our conversation with Therese uh, Pacola that um, in her article, in her conversation, that we didn't, we're going to have to have her back, really. Oh, yes. It's so powerful. She mentioned that when she was possessed, she was unable to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Interesting. Could not pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And it was only after her deliverance that she was able to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet. I mean, powerful. And to be visited by St. Michael the Archangel, Our Lady, and other saints... Like St. Gemma? That's pretty base. That's pretty awesome. That's awesome. That's pretty, that's pretty great. Uh, St. Michael rarely visits me, so, you know. Only rarely, huh? Only, Only rarely. rarely. Only rarely. Yeah. yeah, well, 
Count yourself blessed. I mean, how many human beings on planet Earth have ever had a visit from St. Michael the Archangel? Well, to be, uh, to be honest, I mean, he stands behind me every day. Yeah. So, every day. Right, he right heard there. Of, like, Lit- literally. <laughs> right, right literally. There. He's right there. Right, <laughs> He's literally. Right there. Right. Sometimes it looks like your head has wings. I'm going to be honest with you. That's cool. <laughs> like, like right now. Yeah. There you go. Are like those the, wings? Like or the chair are of they, him? Are those wings or are they the horns <laughs> what? of the apocalypse? How does how that? <laughs> yes. Where is the connection there? They, they look like horns. They could look like horns. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> aye, aye. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, well, praise be to God. We're almost out of time. Hey. What are we talking about? I don't know, man. Bought a cough car. And F-15s and nuclear bombs, I guess. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we don't have enough time for <laughs> We're this. We're out of but, time. <laughs> uh, jo- uh, Joe Biden, the, the Daily Wire team cut a clip of Joe Biden endorsing Michael Knowles' book. And it's the funniest thing ever. He, oh, they just like hilarious. clipped up Poor the Joe bunch Biden. of him saying things. <laughs> I feel like it's a, a abuse of the elderly. Good grief. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's and this whole week's Catholic Drive Time. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Thank you for being a part of the Catholic Drive Time family. We are very, very grateful to you. Do us a favor and uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're not already and ask uh, others to hang out and subscribe with us. That'd be super awesome of you. Of course, like, smash the thumb button and, uh, and share as well. That helps us to overcome our algorithmic woes that we receive. We're still kind of being suppressed a little bit, but God love you. God bless you. Thanks for doing it. Next week, Tim Ballard, Mike Pompeo, We've got uh, Deacon Don uh, coming back. Is Deacon Nick, Nick Donnelly, is going to be back. And a lot more. The lineup is excellent. We're looking forward to it. God love you. God bless you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you then. Thank you for 